Well, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. We begin a new series this evening in really the life of Solomon, the first 11 chapters or so of 1 Kings. And this evening we shall be reading uh, the whole of chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1, let us hear God's word. Now King David was old and advanced in years, And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful And she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man. And he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel, And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, Let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then, while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king. Although you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, 
Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so, Will I do this day? Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule And bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne. For he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Kerethites and the Pelethites went down and made Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Kerethites and the Pelethites. 
And they made him ride on the king's mule, and Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours, and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed, and the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first, that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. Who shall sit on the royal throne? That is the question that our text this evening asks. Who shall sit on the throne, on the throne of Israel? And I suppose, by way of application, our text also asks us the question, who, who sits on the throne of your heart, on the throne of of your life? Who is it that is really in charge of what you think and say and do? At the start of 1 Kings, uh, the year is around about 970 BC, and the reign of great King David is about to come to an end. It's a time of transition. David is old, David is weak, David is dying, and he is cared for in his final days by this young woman called Abishag. There's, there's nothing improper whatsoever about this, uh, this relationship. David, David just needs someone to look after him. David is too weak to look after himself, far less to look after the kingdom. And there is, therefore, something of a power vacuum at the heart of the kingdom of Israel, which is, of course, an instantiation of God's kingdom on earth. And the question is, who is going to fill this vacuum? Who's going to take over from David? Who shall sit on the royal throne? And as we look at the answer to that question this evening, I want us to consider our passage under three headings. Number one, the attack on God's kingdom verses 5 to 10, then the defense of God's kingdom, verses 11 to 27, and then the victory or the prevailing of God's kingdom, verse 28 through to the end. First of all, then, we see in our passage this evening the attack on God's kingdom. We 
read at the beginning of verse 5 that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king into the power vacuum occasioned by David's decline and weakness steps forth his fourth son, Adonijah. And Adonijah is, as you can see very clearly in our text, presented as a a very ambitious and a very power-hungry individual. He is an individual who exalts himself, an individual who, who puts himself first, an individual who will do whatever it takes to, to get what he wants, and it's the throne that he wants. And in this respect, Adonijah displays a quite remarkable similarity with his older brother, Absalom. Absalom, you might well remember, had at one time conspired against David. We read about this in in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and and on. And he had uh, carried out a coup d'etat. He had exalted himself as king. He put himself on the throne before eventually uh, he was killed. And like Absalom, his brother, Adonijah, as we read in verse 5, prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Exactly the same uh, had been done by Absalom. And like Absalom, Adonijah is a, a very handsome man. That's exactly uh, how Absalom is described. He, he, he's the one of those flowing locks. He'd cut his hair once a year and there was loads of hair. He was a very handsome man. And also like Absalom, Adonijah gathered powerful people around himself, the influencers of the day, people, people like Joab and Abiathar. And in so many ways, Adonijah, just like his brother before him, looked the part, he looked and acted like a king. He was ambitious, he was strategic, he was clever, he was handsome. You, you would have looked at Adonijah, at the external appearance, at what he did, and you would have said, yes, he, he seems to be the obvious successor to David. He seems to be, to be the one that, that should sit on the throne. But while Adonijah may well have looked the part, while he may well have looked and acted like the rightful heir to David's throne, he wasn't. David had not chosen him as his successor. More to the point, God had not chosen him to succeed to the throne. Solomon was the legitimate heir. And Adonijah clearly knew this. He clearly knew that, knew this. That's why he, he didn't invite uh, Solomon and those who were loyal to Solomon to the, the sort of mock coronation ceremony that uh, Adonijah put on in verses 9 and 10. Adonijah knew uh, full well that what he was doing was wrong it was rebellious, it was illegitimate. He, he, he knew that it really was an act of treason. That's what's going on here. It's a, a treasonous act. But he, he still did it. Why? Because he loved power. Because he loved the thought, the dream of being in charge, of being top dog, of being number one. He loved that 
that dream, that idea, that, that thought, Adonijah exalted himself. Adonijah said, I will be king because he was animated by, we have to say, that Satan-like lust for power. Just as the devil longs and lusts to exercise absolute control, just as he refused to submit to God, so too Adonijah is just like that, animated by that devilish spirit, that lust for power. And so we see that God's kingdom at the opening of the book of 1 Kings was was under attack. It was under serious attack from a man who was hungry for power, from a man who wanted to be in charge. And, of course, God's kingdom continues to be attacked today. God's kingdom continues to be undermined by, by those who, who want to be in charge, who want to be number one. And this attack comes from without. The church in many parts of the world suffers serious attack from those who hate the idea of any kind of rival as they see it to their authority. But perhaps more seriously, those attacks on God's kingdom come from within, as, as in this case here in 1 Kings. As I was uh, preparing this past week, I, I was reminded of uh, something that we read in John's third letter. I suppose it's not a letter that we, we read too often, but there John talks about a man called Diotrephes. And do you remember how John describes this man, Diotrephes? John says of him that he likes to put himself first. He likes to put himself first. He likes to be number one in charge. People under him serving him. And he does not acknowledge our rightful authority. Diotrephes liked to put himself first. Adonijah liked to put himself first. The devil liked, still likes, to put himself first. What about you? We need to guard ourselves, don't we, against this Adonijah-like spirit, this spirit of proud ambition, of wanting to be number one. It can manifest itself in so many different ways, We need to guard ourselves against this lust for power. And we need to pray, don't we, for those who are in authority in the church, that that they not be marked by such a spirit, that they rather be marked by a spirit of service, of leading, ruling, shepherding, by serving others, not lording it over. Others and, and we need to help one another in this regard, don't we? We need to help one another to, to tame and to, to kill this lust for power that lies within each one of us. One of the great tragedies, I think, of Adonijah is that his father, as we read in verse 6, had uh, never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David had had abrogated his authority 
over his son. He'd not disciplined him as he ought to have done. I guess he'd lost some moral authority, some moral courage and moral fiber because of his sin with Bathsheba. And so he had not helped to to tame and to quash Adonijah, his son's pride and lust for power. He'd failed to exercise. David had failed to exercise his God-given authority. And we are, of course, responsible for our own actions. But we, we do need the help of others as we seek to battle against sin, as we seek to live well before God. And fathers, in particular, are called to discipline and to instruct their children so that, amongst other things, they might not crave power for themselves, but instead humbly serve the Lord. And so we see, in the first place, the kingdom under attack. But then, secondly, as we move on in the narrative, we see the defense of God's kingdom. Thankfully, not everyone followed Adonijah and his rebellion. We read in verse 8 that Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. These, these people were what uh, we could call covenant loyalists. They were true to God. They were loyal to the covenant Lord and, and to his chosen king, the, the true heir, Solomon. And so, and so when they saw God's kingdom being attacked, They fought back. And it's Nathan in particular who who plays a leading role in defending and in fighting for uh, God's kingdom and for the true king. Nathan is the one who informs Bathsheba of what Adonijah has done, who then advises her about what she needs to do. He tells her to, to speak to David about Adonijah's actions and then to remind uh, the king of his, his solemn oath uh, that he had sworn that, that Solomon uh, would reign after him. And you can read about that oath in 1 Chronicles 22. And Nathan, Nathan says that once Bathsheba has spoken to the king, that he will then come into the king and, and confirm Bathsheba's words. And, and in so doing, he will fulfill that requirement in the law that there be two witnesses to to confirm the, uh, the truth of a matter. This is Nathan's advice. It's a very, uh, why, very wise advice. It's urgent advice. It needs to be carried out, and, and it is fully carried out. Bathsheba goes into David. She informs him of Adonijah's treachery. She reminds him of uh, his oath that Solomon would be the next king, and then Nathan afterwards comes in and confirms her words. And it, it is worth noting that both... Bathsheba and Nathan, they're not simply passing on information to David. Uh, they're, they're passing it on with a purpose. Of, of course they are. They are expecting David. They are exhorting David to act, to do something about what's happened. Look at what Bathsheba says in verse 20. She says to King David, and now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who, who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. And Nathan says something fairly similar in verse 27. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king and you've not told your servants who should sit on 
the throne of my Lord the King after him. You're not going to let Adonijah get away with his treachery, are you? They're both saying to David, David, you need to do something about this. You need to act. You need to ensure that Solomon, uh, the rightful heir, is the one who becomes king, not Adonijah. And before we look at how David responds, it's worth just pausing for a moment and reflecting on the crucial role that was played by certain individuals in this account, especially the role of Nathan. You probably remember that Nathan was the prophet who had earlier confronted David when the king had sinned against the Lord by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then by getting her husband killed. And in doing that, in confronting David with his sin, Nathan, I think we can say, had really saved the king and indeed the kingdom from disaster. His actions were decisive. And here we see Nathan again doing all in his power to defend and to guard and to save the kingdom. We see him taking the initiative uh, to foil Adonijah's treachery. We see him advising Bathsheba. We see him speaking to the king himself. We see him urging the king to ensure that Solomon becomes the next king. Here we see Nathan doing everything in his power for the sake of the kingdom. And in this, isn't he the polar opposite of Adonijah? They are poles apart. Adonijah, who does he do everything for? He does everything for himself. I will be king. I must be in charge. You must serve me. I want the power. I want the glory. Nathan, who does he do everything for? He does everything for the sake of God and for the sake of God's kingdom. That is what animated Nathan. The glory of God, the glory of his kingdom, the fulfillment of his covenant promises. Nathan says, he, Solomon, he must be king. And I'm going to do everything that I can to ensure that he is. It seems to me that Nathan is, in fact, a fine illustration of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added unto you. Put God first, put his kingdom first, and you can trust that he will give you everything else that you need. Don't think about puffing yourself up. Don't think about enthroning yourself. That's the way that leads to death and to disaster, to misery. Seek first the kingdom of God. And Nathan, he would have believed in the absolute sovereignty of God. He was a true Israelite, an orthodox believer. But, but his trust in the absolute sovereignty of the Lord doesn't in any way lead to a sort of inactive uh, fatalism. He doesn't sit back and say, well, God's sovereign. Uh, he's promised that Solomon will be the next king. So I'm sure everything will be fine in the end. No, his belief in the absolute sovereignty of God and God's covenant promises actually propels him forward to take action. And so he does everything in his power to defend the kingdom. And, and, and so too must, must you. 
so too must Christians today, as, as servants of King Jesus, as, as those who are subjects in God's kingdom, you, you must work and you must pray and you must, you must study and you must serve and fight with, with all that you've got, with all of your power for the sake of, of the kingdom, for the cause of Christ and his glory as God's kingdom is, is attacked every day as it faces a, a barrage of, of attack and abuse and criticism, we, we as Christians must, must do all that we can to defend it. And, and you must do so not because it all depends on you, but actually, in a wonderful paradox, because it all depends on God. That's true spirituality, recognizing God's absolute sovereignty over all things, recognizing that he will fulfill his promises, and then working with all your heart for his kingdom. Acting in a sense as if it does all depend upon you, but knowing that it doesn't. That's what we see here with Nathan. And you give your all for God's kingdom because you know that in the end, God's kingdom will prevail. It will have the victory. And that's the third and final thing that we see. David has been exhorted to take action. And action is what he takes. He's made strong in his weakness by the grace of God. I won't go into all of the details this evening, but in the rest of the chapter, we, we see David making good on his oath that Solomon is the one who would sit on his throne after him. And this is actually particularly highlighted, I think, by uh, Jonathan, Abiathar's son, in what he says to Adonijah. Adonijah and his, his crew, they, they've heard this uproar, this noise. They wonder what it's all about. Jonathan comes, Adonijah, hoping against hope, says, you're bringing good news, aren't you? And he says, no. No, I'm not. And then in what he says, it just drives home the point that Solomon is king, not Adonijah. He says, King David has made Solomon king, verse 43. He says, Solomon has ridden on the king's mule, verse 44. He says, Solomon has been anointed king, verse 45. He says that the news that Solomon has become king has been greeted with widespread joy, verse 45. He says that the king's servants, as well as the king himself, have pronounced blessing upon Solomon. May you be an even greater king than David, verses 47 to 48. And just to be crystal clear, verse 46 Solomon sits on the royal throne. There's your answer to the question of this passage. Who sits on the royal throne? Answer, definitely not you, Adonijah. Though you wanted it desperately, though you lusted for power, though you exalted yourself and said, I will be king, you're not. You're not. Solomon is. In the end, God's kingdom will prevail.
come what may. God's kingdom was weak. It was fragile. It was precarious, in a precarious position at the start of 1 Kings because of the weakness of the king himself, David. But although it was then attacked in its weakness by a power-hungry usurper, in the end, his plans, his strategies came to nothing. In the end, God preserved his kingdom. He caused it to prevail by ensuring that his man, his man, sat on his royal throne. So take heart, brothers and sisters, this evening. This is what I want to close with. Be encouraged by the first chapter of 1 Kings. I, I know that this passage does contain some some weighty challenges which we need to hear. Are you giving your all for the kingdom of God? Maybe this passage does contain some serious rebukes which, which we need to hear. Are we putting ourselves first? But its overall message is actually a deeply encouraging one. A thrilling one. Its overall message is simply that God's kingdom will prevail. It will win. Whatever attacks it faces, from without and from within, God's kingdom, as Luther put it, is forever. That's because God has decreed it to be so, and that's because God's man sits on God's royal throne. And that man, as you know, is not really Solomon, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great, the mighty, the glorious king who sits enthroned in highest heaven forever. And Jesus Christ, your great and mighty and glorious king, he has prevailed over sin He has prevailed over death. He has prevailed over Satan and all of Satan's minions. And Jesus Christ, your great and mighty King, ever defends you. He ever fights for you. He will always, without fail, preserve you from every enemy attack. In Him, in Christ your King, you will prevail. No one is mightier than King Jesus, and no one is more merciful. At the end of this chapter, his coup having failed miserably, Adonijah, full of fear, clings to the horns of the altar, and he pleads for Solomon to spare his life. And remarkably, Solomon, at least at this stage, does. Adonijah deserved to be executed for his treason. Adonijah would have killed Solomon had his devilish scheme worked. But here, at least at this point, Solomon spares him. And all I want to say to you in closing is this. If, if you cling, so to speak, to the cross of Christ, then Jesus will spare you. You deserve 
just as I do, to be executed for your treachery. You deserve to be executed for your persistent rebellion. You deserve to be executed for every day putting yourself first. But if you cling to the cross, if you cling to the Lord Jesus, then he he will spare you. Because he is the king of mercy and of grace. And he reigns omnipotent in every place. Isn't it good news that Jesus Christ is the one who sits on the royal throne? Amen.